Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today we have a great malicious compliance story where somebody demands the webcam must be on. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, the MC Master gets his way against a ridiculous request. Back when I was at school, the literature professor, let's call him Lit Professor, was a malicious compliance master. He had a friendly rivalry against the dean, they've been working together for nearly 20 to 30 years, so they know each other very well, and play pranks on each other as well. When we were in class, if someone knocked on the door, the usual was that the student closest to the door would get up and open. One time the dean knocked when lit professor was teaching. I got up to open the door and the dean said, I want him, pointing at lit professor, to open the door. I look at lit professor and he says, okay, close the door and go sit back down. And then lit professor drops on his knees and starts walking on his knees to the door shouting, we're sorry, oh great dean, we're not worthy of your presence. Please forgive us if we've done wrong. It took him perhaps two minutes to do the two meters walk to the door. We lost it. We were laughing our butts off. Dean was standing there with a look that mixed bafflement and anger, but at the same time trying not to burst into laughter. The fact that what Dean came to say was the most standard, mundane, and generic announcement made it even funnier somehow. This was Lit Professor's typical behavior. He used to spend a lot of chalk writing on the board, almost twice as much as the next professor. So the guy in charge of supplies complained, and the head of studies cut Lit Professor's chalk supply in half. So he would steal the other professor's chalk to have the amount he thought he needed. He told the story about the first time he had to teach, almost 30 years before my time at the school. Bear in mind he was short, 1.55 meters tall, bald with a mustache and had to use huge green tinted glasses. He looked a little bit like Ernesto Sabato, a well-known Argentinian novelist. You can Google it if you want to form an image on how Lit Professor looked like. His first class ever was with the misfits of the school, rowdy class. He stood up at the podium, they had podiums back then, and nobody even tried to listen to what he had to say. Ten minutes passed, and Lit Professor said, Excuse me guys, do you want me to do the class, or are you up to something more important? One of the bullies told him to beat it and everybody laughed. So he grabbed the newspaper, took a seat at his desk, and stayed there for the whole class without saying a word. When the ring that signaled the class was over rang, he got up and said, Okay, tomorrow we'll have an exam. One of three for the semester. You have to have at least an average of six points to pass the semester. The exam will be about what I was supposed to teach today. And he walked out of the room. We loved the guy. He was fair. He had a true passion for literature. He was a good professor and made the classes nice and interesting. Now that I've established his usual behavior, when I was at school at the end of the first semester, he submitted the grades for each student to the head of studies. This story was told by the head of studies secretary, a former student that was friend of a lot of the students there. Head of studies was the worst. He was concerned about the image the school had doors out rather than what the students really learned. 
He had quotas for students that could pass and students who had to fail each class. Lit Professor submitted a list for our class, mostly very good students, where 80% of the class passed with flying colors, 8, 9s, and 10s out of 10s, and just one guy scored below 6, which meant he failed the classes. He got called to the head of studies office, head of studies was angry shouting that there were too few people failing, and that Lit Professor was way too generous on the grading system he used. Lit Professor stood there and just listened, he said okay, and left. Cue malicious compliance number one. He submitted a new list. Every single student had a two, failure for the whole class. He got called to the head of studies office again. Head of studies was fuming again. He told him he didn't want this freaking mockery and to submit a new list with better grades. Lit professor said okay and left. Cue malicious compliance number two. He submitted a new list. Every single student had a ten. He got called to the head of studies office again. Head of studies was pretty much having a heart attack. Before he could say anything, Lit Professor says, What? You didn't like the new list also? I'll tell you what. I know what each student deserves, so shut the freak up and let me do my work, okay? Produced the original list and walked out. The list got accepted. I think, can we just all agree that this requirement was BS? That a certain amount of people did what they had to do and head of studies said, Nah, you need to fail more people. I don't know where this takes place, but like, it feels like there's a legal challenge that deserves to be made against some kind of dumb requirement like that. If you excel at everything you do, but you're just randomly chosen to fail, how is that fair? A reply to this post said, I had a dean who had the habit to overbook classes. It was evening courses for adults at the beginning of computers as mainstream tools. The previous teacher was a typist who didn't know crap about computer. On my first day, I entered a classroom crammed with people. It looked like a party where everybody stayed quiet. There were at least 35 nationalities and a dozen of languages. They were 60 for 20 computers. I excused myself and ran to the director to warn that there was a problem with sign-in. He explained to me that it was the only way to keep 10 or 15 students out of the 40 planned until the end of the year, lest the course would be cancelled. Well, when life gives you lemons, make a clown stand-up show juggling with lemons. I won't enter the details of how I did it. At the end of the year, the director called me, Mr. OP, we have a problem with your class. We have? Scores are excellent. This is the problem. 58 students have passed, most of them with 80 out of 100, and 10 of them reached 100 out of 100. I said yes, it's a real success. The two that missed have found a job that didn't come to the test. My criteria of success are considered pretty harsh. I can show you the copies and the 113 points to address in the examination, but the aim is for them to be able to use the computer in work situations and that was what we did. In fact, I don't understand where the problem is. Well, the course is planned for 40 students and you have a success rate of 138%. School inspection will never believe it. Hopefully he was a good guy under his formal attitude and a real fox when swimming in the administrative mud. Next year we received 40 computers as the success of the course became a major political asset for the town. I can't tell if this is even scummier than the first thing, intentionally providing very, very limited assets so that a bunch of people literally just can't do anything. When the teacher calls them out they just say, oh yeah that was intentional, like so blatantly? Our next story is, must use external libraries on an external server because the code is better and the servers are always up. 
This is from recent times when the big thing was to use external libraries and drag them into the systems as building blocks, IT Lego style. There were multiple project teams doing this, not reinventing the wheel, we'll just include this library and use that code. I was in a weird job, half operations QA and half security. Pulling in random libraries that we didn't have the context understanding of could be security issues. Lots turned out to be performance issues since one small function could and did drag in megabytes of code we didn't need. The lead architect on one of these projects was wider than tall and had a custom-made rolling chair that looked like something that Blanche Dubois would have flung herself across having the vapors. Or Jabba the Hutt an American IT cube farm. Pick your genre. In any case, they were adamant about pulling libraries from repositories, and if the developer of the repository was pulling in extra stuff, there must be a reason. And that external servers gave us a higher reliability since the risk was spread across many servers. Missing the complexity part, no architecture changes, get out of my tent. So as time went on production code got slower and bigger. I got a small team together to pull down the libraries, comb out the parts we weren't using, test on a load balanced pair of internal servers, and then stand them up on some Amazon cloud servers, AWS servers, push back the new AWS links to the dev teams. They were happy because when the new code went in, they got credited with increased performance. Lather, rinse, and repeat, and we had moved 99% of the library to our AWS system cloned from our internal servers and had reduced the footprint by about 70%. Performance was up, and we were able to audit the code in the library to make sure that it wasn't leaking data to other places. We had found a few cases where performance data was being sent, but our firewalls blocked it. Our internal TCOM network control team noted it, and we pulled the performance monitor code that was sending data to a third network server we didn't know. So all was right with the world. I had the library we needed, small, secure, and understood. Last step for me was to pull it in-house so it was on our servers. This would reduce the latency calls to go get it, reduce network needs to the outside. I could close some firewall holes, and I could save the money from the AWS server. Knowing that this would come down to a masterful PowerPoint, I got a friend in marketing to help. We dotted T's, crossed I's, spell-checked, and were ready to go. We're set up in the lead manglement conference room. Front and center is the big 92-inch monitor for presentations. On the border are six monitors, three on each side, that show the current status of things. Top left, external networks. Next is internal networks. Bottom is firewall issues, bounced packets, advanced persistent threats, etc. On the right was our SAP environment. Next was Salesforce and Workday, bottom was key internal systems, the one we were talking about in that window with others. I start my dog and pony show and halfway, Architect Hut chimes in and says, No, this is not what I architected. We need to go back to the pure authentic libraries and they need to be on external servers. I say okay, but what happens if the external servers crash? They never crash. I give a slight nod to my 2IC. A few subtle clicks, and you can see the network link to the server library goes from green to yellow to red, soon followed by the app going red. My phone rings. OP here. Oh, AWS has fallen down? Spin up the west coast. AWS has server farms all over. We're on east coast locations, 
needed to manually move to West Coast since Architect didn't set failover up. Oh, that'll take 20 minutes. At this point, SAP now has red sections. Okay, and when that's done, we'll need to redeploy the app to pick up the new instances. Sales farce was now showing yellow. How long to redeploy? Okay, less than an hour? And now for some reason, Workday is also showing yellow. Super. So we should be back in 55 minutes? Cool. Call me when we're back. I blurred through the slide sets with people having one eye on my data, one eye on the ever-read dashboard, well, except data links to AWS, which went green with the reduced load, and a third eye on the architect having a fainting spell that would make Blanche proud. 45 minutes in, people are panicked, and I got asked how long to use my in-house library. About 60 seconds. We can reroute all the packets to the AWS to these load-balanced servers, and they should take over. No, screams the architect, flailing around on their wheeled love seat. That violates all of our programming paradigms. Senior VP responds, Yeah, but we're back to making money again. OP cut us over. My 2IC with the chat window open to network control gives the go signal. We watch some internal network traffic switch. AWS traffic stop. Sales farce goes yellow, then green. And finally, Workday smiles with green also. System load monitors show a drop since they're not pulling in all the extra cruft. I got approval. Jabba never spoke to me again, but his team did respond to our emails about the internal library and how to get things added. Coda, what does this have to do with the guy that wrote code and wants to know how to protect it? Turns out Jabba's move was to move all these libraries to a central space and then sell a service and charge a fat fee to keep the libraries current. If the service got cut off, the systems would stop work. So that was the leverage. Because I was four steps ahead, the plan failed. We were all buttoned up in-house with the code we had audited, but other companies may not be watching. 2IC is my second in charge, kind of like the idiot operator from Heck assistant. Oh, so this guy was intentionally trying to do a terrible job so that they could patch it all up and be like, well, you kind of need my special services to keep this all running. I was going to say this especially frustrates me because I kind of know where they're coming from. I've been involved a little bit with some game development things, and there's some situations where you can import code from other places to make things work instead of just writing some simplistic function or whatever to make it work manually. And it's very similar in the way that it just completely bloats that entire section of the code because you just imported this entire library full of random stuff that has one function that'll allow you to do whatever and probably has, you know, a billion other purposes for whatever you pulled it from. So now you gotta load all that other stuff just to do the one thing you wanted it to do. Obviously, it's not a good design choice. Our next story is camera must be on. So I, 26-year-old female, am a new mom and just returned from maternity leave June 1st. I work from home in a telemarketing position via chat slash text selling windows. This is important. In this time, I've attended multiple virtual team meetings that should have been emails, attended team huddles, met with coworkers one-on-one, and revised some of our best practices, all while holding my, at the time, two-month-old son. Three weeks ago, we were informed that turning our cameras on for virtual meetings was mandatory and she did not care if we were put together or presented as professional for these meetings, but the expectation was to have your camera on and engage in the topics discussed. She also informed me that being a parent was unprofessional, not important to this story, 
So, after running my plan by my co-workers, team of 10 and getting a green light, in the last two weeks I've attended 21 meetings. In every meeting I log into the meeting, turn on my camera, and I sit at a frame of the camera on my laptop, on my office floor, or to the side, so I can see but not be seen. So all you see is the empty chair I'm supposed to be sitting in, but I don't move until she says, so let's get started. So between my logging in and her, let's get started, I wear my I'm ticked at the planet face. I also participate and engage in these meetings and derail them so they end up lasting much longer than she intended. And Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. She just ends up spinning wheels with my amount of engagement, questions, interjections, corrections, and an overall obnoxious level of engagement. I've done this for every meeting in the last two weeks. I have a routine meeting with a supervisor on Friday and will also be out of frame during the meeting. I'll continue to do so until she no longer makes us have our cameras on. Your demand? Cameras on. I listened. Not once did she say we had to be seen on said cameras. Now, I don't know how well the excuse goes for like a workplace type thing, but I've always just trusted the old, oh, my webcam's busted, or oh, I don't have a webcam. Is your employer going to really say, well, you need to get that fixed, or you need to buy a new webcam? I'll use a webcam when you expense it for me. New purse check rule, absolutely mandatory. I work three jobs, the hours and days vary. My full-time job is in an office space in a very fancy modern office with a great company. They have some great amenities on site too. A full gym, lockers and showers, full cafeteria, etc. My second job is close to full-time, depending on, depending on other employees' availability, no set schedule, very chaotic and not well ran. It's a boutique, just a bus ride from my office, and it's all in a very busy downtown tourist port city by the ocean. The thing is, it's a tourist boutique. It's all city-branded trinkets, shirts, postcards, and gifts. There's really not much any locals would want, unless buying it for out-of-town family. Third job is a fast-food place. I'm often between these two jobs and don't have time to run home between. I carry a gym bag with me, with my tiny purse and wallet inside, along with clean business professional clothes, gym clothes, and work uniforms to change in and out of, extra underwear. It's summer and extremely hot and our buses don't usually ever have AC, so if there's time I'll shower at the office, and I have travel size shower items. A book for the bus rides, I don't have a car, lunch and snacks, hairbrush. Apparently the boutique has experienced a lot of loss. 
something we had previously brought up being an issue because our boss, the owner, will have big tables and buckets of items outside by the sides of the door where we can monitor them, especially if we're inside with customers. People definitely take advantage and we've seen a lot of people grab things and just walk off. These aren't the cheaper items in the store either. We've lost an entire display of mid-priced sunglasses, handfuls of bikini separates, and at one point the entire table was emptied in a snatch and run with about five younger people. But he thinks it's us stealing things. His wife runs the store, she's always in. She said we have a new mandatory bag check, and every employee in the store is a woman who usually carries a purse or bag. It's not just a quick look through the bag, she wants to remove the items and feel around the sides of the bag and make sure we aren't taking any trinkets and items. I'll be honest, I haven't seen anybody on staff, there's four of us, ever steal anything. And I don't even think it's because they're all stand-up employees, I think it's because they don't care to own any of the cheap, tacky tourist items. Because my bag is bigger, it's been kind of a nightmare for me. She wants me to take every individual item out of my bag and show there's nothing wrapped up inside of it, lay it out across the table by the register. The first day of this, I was late to work because she wouldn't start checking my bag until I clocked out. And then she took her time with a customer, causing me to be almost half an hour late to my other job. I considered that I could just continue getting lockers at my office, but they're day use only. So, depending on my schedule, I'd have to make a separate trip to get back to the office before the building closed to remove my items, and it wouldn't be feasible with my other jobs. I'm honestly pretty sure the staff who cleans the lockers at the end of the day probably wouldn't mind and would work something out for me, but I don't feel like I need to go out of my way to keep a steady rotation on a locker. If my boutique manager wants to make things awkward and difficult on me, I'm going to turn around and do it right back to her. She is a very tightly wound conservative lady, so I added a few extra items to my gym bag. I don't get my period, but I picked up a menstrual cup. Period talk makes her absolutely faint. I included some new reading material, old 70s playboys I keep at the house, for aesthetic purposes, and I just like them. I swapped in some of my sexiest and functionally impossible underwear, but also one of my grannyest of panties. I also for no reason at all included condoms, furry handcuffs, a gag gift in my sister's bachelorette party, and I picked up a pamphlet at a nearby community center for their group therapy for bereavement. It went off perfectly at the end of my shift. There were customers in the store, and she made me go through my bag item by item, opening them up and holding it up, so she could check to make sure there was nothing hidden. I carefully fanned out my old magazines to show there was nothing between the pages. I pulled out each set of underwear like a creepy fashion show, holding them up to the light so she could see directly through the lace. Every item we pulled out of the gym bag made her more and more flush. She was uncomfortable, she could barely perform the check. She nearly had a panic attack when I pulled out a little sandwich baggie with a menstrual cup in it. I even pulled out the pamphlet and set it aside slowly with intent to seem affected by it, and she looked at me quizzically and kind of confused, asked what's this about, and I said solemnly, oh, I haven't lost anybody, but it's a great place to meet new people. I pulled the condoms out right after saying that. My second bag check was definitely faster than the first and I was finished and out the door in time to catch my bus and arrived to work early. Actually, I speed running the bag check. Wasn't my initial plan, but it was definitely an unconsidered plus to the situation. 
I honestly don't mind doing a bag check if they really feel like it's so necessary, but the invasiveness of making every employee pull out inside everything in their bags on a table, where every customer in the store has a plain view of everything they have, is a little much. And purposely making it take so much time that it's interfering with our other jobs and personal lives is crossing the line. But now I'm kind of excited to see what other items I can include in my gym bag, just to keep her on her toes. I don't want it to be too obvious, but just enough to make her consider that a lady's bag is usually private, and upending that for all our customers to see might not be great for business. So I'm not gonna lie, if I went into a business and I saw that they were opening the employee's bags and making them empty everything out and checking for it, I don't know if I would want to give them my business, that just seems horrendously invasive. I agree with what a lot of other people are saying though, if this is mandatory and you're going to comply to it, this needs to happen before you clock out, not cutting into time that you have after you've already clocked out. Wouldn't that essentially be wage theft? Our next story is, you want me to come into work while I'm sick? Sure. This occurred late January this year, I was just laughing about it with a friend who said I should post it here. Earlier this year, I was doing bar work at a small local pub after college. Anyway, over the weekend, I'd been helping out at the scout group, and through a combo of too much shouting through woods, and a rather stressful week of family arguments, I slowly and then pretty much completely lost my voice. Sunday evening came and I realized there was no way to come back for Monday, so I sent my boss a text and email to inform him that I wouldn't be in work tomorrow night and why. Monday comes and I get through college, sending him a reminder email and text before 10am, as is policy. Around 7pm, my shift started at 6.30, I received a call from an angry head chef slash boss asking about my whereabouts. I had to pass the phone to my sister to talk for me and he then texted me demanding that I come into work. I decided, you know what, I will but customers won't be happy. I went in and sorted the bar and it wasn't long until problems started. First couple of customers wanted some pints pulled, so no need for me to really converse, other than motioning at the amount due for payment. Then a group of already tipsy women wanted a few gins and wines. I couldn't ask them what they wanted or let them know what we had, other than gesturing and scribbling on a notepad. This group contained a particularly vocal Karen and she had a reputation. She began harassing me and then turned her attention to the chef's mom as she walked past carrying a food order. She immediately noticed me at the bar, did a double take and a glance of, you shouldn't be here. She then more or less ordered me home. I ended up with a full shift's pay for 10 minutes of actually being there and was let off until my voice returned. A week and a half later, one of the serving staff told me about the aftermath. Chef's mom had fetched Chef from the kitchen and had given him a good telling off in the bar area in front of customers. This wasn't the first time he'd tried to force staff to come in when they were ill. She also had him personally deal with Karen. Yeah, the last place I would want somebody being forced to come in while they're ill is a bartending job. I mean, in OP situation, it was relatively harmless, you know, no voice. But if somebody's actually sick, I don't want them handling my drinks, mixing and shaking things. Our next story is, I will report every bathroom break. Of course. So several years ago, I worked for the worst boss ever. I was working as a teacher at a preschool. I had 28 students in my class, ages 4 to 5. I had no assistant at any time of the day, so this meant I had to do quite a lot of tasks all at once by myself. One of these things were bathroom breaks. 
The bathroom had a half wall, boys on one side and girls on the other. This way the teacher can supervise all learners at once. I had a very well-oiled routine with my class at bathroom breaks. I'll explain in detail here. If you don't want to read, skip to the next paragraph. So I had two lines, boys and girls. They lined up at opposite sides so they could not see into the other toilet. Kids go in four at a time. Once you're done, you sit on the floor in the doorway until everyone's done. This way I could keep my eyes on almost every child at all times. The doors were always open so I could run out if needed. I jumped over the half wall if needed, and basically I had everyone within a few meters of myself. This entire routine took about 10 minutes. I did my routine once every hour. Kids could go to the bathroom by themselves in between bathroom breaks. There were no issues. My boss comes shouting into my class one day. A girl in my class has had an accident. She wet herself on her way to the bathroom. My boss shouted about this girl wetting her pants in front of all of my students who were having free play. The kids were all silent. She screamed at me and I just tried to explain that she was on her way. She just didn't make it and our next bathroom break was in 10 minutes. She continued shouting at me. I waited for her to finish screaming and asked if the child who wet herself had been helped to change. She says no, I have to go do it. I cannot leave my learners unsupervised, so I ask if she could please keep an eye on my class while I change the student into dry clothes. She looks me in the eye and says, no, your whole class is having a bathroom break now, and from now on you go every 20 minutes. Bathroom break, the whole class every 20 minutes. I just nodded my head and told my learners pack up time. She said to leave the class as is and go to the bathroom. The kids line up at the class door, then we walk outside a few meters to the lockers. We line up again while I collect new clothes, then we walk to the bathroom and do the routine as above. Plus, I need to change my student into dry clothes. It was a nightmare. I checked the clock when we left and made a mental note to come back in 20 minutes. And I did. Every 20 minutes. The problem is, the bathrooms get cleaned every 30 minutes, so oftentimes we would have to wait outside because the bathroom was wet. Other classes needed to use the toilet, but we were constantly in there. We walked to the toilet and just walked back if no one said they needed the bathroom. By the end of the day, they were so sick of going to the toilet, 1pm-ish. The next morning, we continued the routine. That meant that sometimes parents came to drop off and there was no one to welcome them or watch their child. Or that parents were still trying to do a handover and then it's been 20 minutes, so it's time for a bathroom break. We started our morning circle ring and went to the bathroom. We read a story and went to the bathroom. We had free play in bathroom. Every 20 minutes. Everyone in that school was so annoyed with me. Everyone knew it was ridiculous, but I told them that's what boss lady said so. That afternoon, a schedule was sent out as to when every class may use the bathroom, scheduling the bathroom breaks and cleaning breaks for all the classes. And wouldn't you know it, My class was scheduled for once every 60 minutes. Ha. I don't know what the setup is at this place where it's so necessary to schedule. I guess I've just been lucky enough in my elementary schools or while growing up that almost every room had a bathroom. Or at least like if there were adjoined rooms, they had like a little hallway with a shared bathroom. It just seems surprising to me that there's such a demand for like this one bathroom. I'd like to see this preschool, you know, add some more bathrooms around. Our next story is not to touch clients' websites? Sure. Keeping it vague for safety. Used to do client a favor and I updated and fixed their clients' websites along with creating new pages and whatnot. One of her clients complained about the design. 
but I had told I was doing a rush job and would need to get an actual designer to do it. Client was rude to me and threw me under the bus, told me I was not to touch client websites with client CC. Okay, I am not touching anything. Need pages created? Send it back to designing company for quote. Need stuff updated? Send it back to IT for quote. Staff asking me for help? Sorry, can't touch client property. Used to spend 30 minutes to do a task. Now, as I have to prepare documentation for the proper departments, it takes me 90 minutes to do a task. I'm just complying. Honestly, in a situation like this, I don't know if I would necessarily mind. I feel like I would just do whatever I have to do, and if I have a little extra time because it's getting so stretched out, you know, take a peek at your phone or take a browse around or whatever, I'm sure OP can do whatever they need to find a way to entertain themselves for a little while longer. And hey, getting to sit around and chill while you gotta prepare documentation, that's probably not a bad gig unless you're kind of a workaholic and you feel like you have to be doing stuff. To be fair, it might drive some people absolutely crazy. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.